0: Welcome to Ready Layer One. It's a Web3 podcast that focuses on the near ecosystem. And in this episode, we interviewed James from the new up and coming DEX VX, is how they say it, right, Joe?
1: Yeah, I don't think they actually settled on anything yet, but they, 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 I think they pronounce it as VX.
0: Yeah, that's sort of a thing in Web3. Like when you see all these names, it's like, how do they pronounce like and then, you know, sort of does the, the community take over the pronunciation of a name, <laughs>
1: you know, right, things right. like
0: that. But so the really VX is an advanced decentralized trading platform that's built on near. Right. And it's really trying to address a couple issues or a couple things that aren't on there yet, which uh, we get into quite well. And it aims to address the issues of price manipulation and asymmetry in the market. So, Joe, I don't know about you, but this actually gets pretty deep into financial terms and a little bit of education on derivatives as well. So I thank you for James for that. He actually explains what a derivative is to me because I've been trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look, I, I think, you know, I am not overly financial, you know, literally. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know enough to get by, but I don't really understand the whole thing. And I thought what was great about this call was we talked a lot about, you know, obviously the platform, why they're trying to build on Nier, what they like about Nier, all the usual stuff. But we really got into some of the actual thought process around the financial tools that they're building. Yeah. And so I think for any type of user, whether you're actually actively using DeFi or not, this is a really great podcast to listen to, to just kind of learn about like what actually DeFi is supposed to be or could be, and what are some of these tools that are being built
0: yeah absolutely man. so this is a cool one this one and and also James was a blast to talk to <laughs> just yeah, like absolutely. Love, like i, I didn't, I've had like such a good conversation talking about derivatives that I didn't even fully understand, so you know we hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did yeah absolutely yeah. thank you so much for uh joining us today oh, is it vex? How do you
2: pronounce this? so I normally say vx uh, i but we'll we can see where the the world takes us from a uh... <laughs> uh, branding and marketing perspective, which is probably sure. what my CMO will tell me I should be saying.
0: First off, just describe a little bit who you are and then
2: briefly what this project is. Uh, so I'm the chief product officer at a venture builder called Takens. And what we're really here to talk about today from our perspective is VX, our uh, new decks that we're going to be launching on Nia in the very short term, for which we have a uh, testnet probably live by the time this is going out, but just about to go live. Uh, where we're trying to bring a whole bunch of concepts that we've known and loved from years in financial markets into the DeFi system, really, sort of try and take DeFi to the next level. Cool. So, and your background is in product, you were saying? Yes, I've got a background in product, but I've got a background in uh, other aspects of uh, trying to build your own businesses. So it's uh, it's been fun over the years. So I, I, I gather, uh, not just from your accents, but from looking guys up, that you're both over in the States. Uh, so I worked in New York for a, a reasonably well-known Wall Street firm, uh, a broker called Cantor Fitzgerald. If you've yep. ever come across that entity, so I was global head of futures product management, but basically held a portfolio of anything that looked like a derivative for yep. that business for a uh, for a number of years after we sold them a business, and that was was real finding out about products on big scale.
0: Yeah. So before we even get going, Joe knows what is a derivative. Like I feel like I've been talking with macro uh, people a lot, and they're just like, "Hey, wait till people figure out what derivatives are." Because aren't there like way more derivatives than everything else? This will probably get cut from the
2: podcast. This is just for my pure own knowledge. No, let's let, let 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 let's do this because I think this is this is something that uh, I don't think a lot of people who are natively blockchain and purely in DeFi really understand the scale of. So yeah. if, if we talk about the world's biggest exchanges and you go look at the lists and the hit lists of uh, all of these ratings of exchanges, they're all derivatives exchanges. They're not stock exchanges. They're not bond exchanges. It's places like Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Deutsche Börse, the German exchange. And the reason they're big is because the size and volume of transactions that go through them. Uh, there is a reason why New York Stock Exchange, probably the most famous brand on the planet uh, from a, exchange perspective, it's not Apple, but it's it's yeah. a really big yeah. brand, yeah. Uh, is owned by an exchange called Intercontinental Exchange, ICE. Oh. So ICE is the parent company, and ICE was a power and gas trading platform on the east coast of America that's really got a lot of traction and then started buying and acquiring all these other assets. And it's got an interesting story because it comes into crypto as well with BACT. So BACT is one of the ICE brands. So it it then started to buy at NYMEX, uh, another New York brand that people have heard of. But it bought uh, some really big assets in Europe. Uh, It bought derivatives exchanges in London and in, well, two in London, actually, over different times. In Amsterdam, in Paris. And it brought all of these together under its umbrella and really built this just machine. But um, So I'm not going to go into politics, but if you know (laughs) Kelly Loeffler, uh, famous Senator for losing the same Then She, she was married to the CEO. So he's become this big political player uh, and gotcha. multi-billionaire owning lots of businesses and that, that's fascinating, but they are much, much bigger than stock markets and that's going to happen yeah. in DeFi. That's okay, that is like the thing I wanted to get to. So people who listen to this, so our, our listeners are ranging from
0: people who are new to crypto. We get a lot of people brand new to web three and stuff, and then more advanced people who are like following us for a while. And yes, yeah, the derivatives market is massive. So like, you know, there's like a, a layer like the stock, how did Apple do? No, 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 there's a whole bigger industry that's going on in TradFi. And so VX, is that something that
2: you're going to focus more on? So it it's certainly where we want to take it. Okay. It's where we think derivatives needs to go to. It's also what we think needs to be addressed by DeFi to bring uh, more serious aspects of cash in. So if I'm a small project launching on a whichever blockchain you pick, but some some blockchain that's not the world's biggest blockchain that everybody knows about, then for me to get funded, I need people to have awareness and to be able to do that. And they And the people who are funding it need risk management tools. And if they've got risk management tools and they can lay off that risk effectively related to the blockchain or related to the sector, then they're much more likely to bring their money in. And we want them to build all of these wonderful projects that are solving this myriad of issues. And we need to give the tools to the professional investors that unleashes that capital.
1: That's interesting. I yeah. I immediately go to, it sounds like that there are probably two major areas that need to be addressed that I assume that you guys are trying to take care of. So one, like you just said, that the professional investor, the, so where they have the tools to both, I guess probably mirror what they're trying to do in the fiat world to some degree. And then on the other side of it is the, I guess, ethos of crypto, of being able to be more financially independent and be able to own my own financial future, of uh, bringing some of those more professional tools to the everyday user. But in a way, probably that is more approachable because like right now, I'm not a financial person. I'm just I'm, I'm a technical person. That's it. I know how to build stuff. I don't know all that other piece of it. So, like, that stuff kind of scares me of, like, I don't really understand what I'm always investing in. And I kind of stay away from the stock market at times because I don't fully understand what makes it go. Is there a path that you see to allow both those things to happen simultaneously?
2: I think there is. I think it's this is building blocks. This is trying to build the building blocks and let it advance. I mean, one of the reasons why the financial markets are proportionally safe. I mean, there are things out there that don't work, but they tend to not work for more legitimate reasons. It's because of the regulation Mm -hmm. and the regulation is sat over this as a proxy for transparency, because you can't see what's going on. You need a rule set to be able to help you make sure that they're behaving appropriately. So you have all this regulation and that's what we haven't had in some of the centralized exchanges on the crypto side. But as we move into the DeFi space, there's going to be this constant, how does this play out for regulation in the background? But if we play in a transparent way and really have public rule sets about how these things should operate and how uh, how people manage anything that looks like risk, then that's gonna really help move that forward.
1: Are those rule sets code-based or is that like more traditional kind of rule sets of like, here's the expectations of how you use the platform?
2: I So I think they're more rule sets. So this is about, I'm thinking about things like collateral management. Uh, Maybe we'll come back into discussing exactly what that is when we we build up talking about derivatives. But essentially, if you're entrusting assets to somebody else and you want to know that the assets of the person on the other side of a deal are also locked up in the same way, you either need regulation or you need uh, clear rules that everyone is forced to obey. Mm, Right. Yeah. You said
0: something there that I really liked the sense of it was, uh, wait, regulation is a proxy for what was this? The, transparency. Was yeah. Right. Like, okay. So regulation is a proxy for transparency. Decentralization shows everything. So does it, it, it strips away that. And so doesn't it almost make it like a cleaner transaction? You know, like you can't like lie to a smart contract. You can't like take a smart contract out to a nice dinner at like Smith and Walensky
2: on the Upper East Side Steakhouse. I, I had a flat <laughs> near that place. It's <laughs> see, <good>. I, I... <laughs> you, you know that world. I, I, so 100%, 100%. So as a minimum, if you make the rule set transparent and people are forced to obey it and forced <laughs> to do it because it's our smart contract, mm-hmm. then a lot of the regulation that you would traditionally see being brought in is redundant. It's not necessarily everything is redundant. You... You may want to still make sure that the principles running the business are uh, not criminal in some other manner and using that to fund something else. But most of the stuff that costs us when we're building exchange platforms becomes redundant with transparency.
1: That's interesting. So as you start to build this out, in, because it is a truly global market from day one, what are some of those considerations from a product standpoint that you have to start to take into account?
2: So I'll pick on something really interesting that that I like because I think it has good secondary effects as well. But if we want to get to derivatives markets, the, the end point of any derivatives contract is what price does it settle against at the end? And you need a clear and transparent mechanism to determine that price. And in financial markets, generally you look to have a liquid instrument that's being traded that you can settle against. In crypto so far we see people publishing their own indexes and we see people publishing oracles and other mechanisms to settle those prices against which are pseudo transparent so something that we've come up with is an auction and so one of the products we'll come out with uh probably not on the first stuff coming out in, in a month's time but uh coming out over the months that follow is a an auction product and the concept of this auction product is instead of running a 24 7 amm you run an auction that's more sort of concentrated in time. So once a week it comes up, people can put their price, uh, their swap rates in, and it just brings them all together and works out what the central swap rate is that everything should match at. Those that are past that point match at that that swap rate get the other side of their contract out, and and then you allow follow-on trades for a period, but you have a market mechanism for setting a swap rate. It's also absolutely brilliant for... Uh, projects that can't either afford to run an AMM or don't really yeah. have a purpose for running an AMM because yeah. suddenly they can create these markets where they can have liquidity in their projects and they're part of the game, they're part of the story in a DEX uh, without these huge market maker costs because the market makers carry a load of risk in them as well. So it's uh-huh. they've, they've got an all-round good effect, but they're absolutely critical to getting derivatives markets going.
1: So does that solve some of the problem of like price manipulation by whales by doing it yeah, that way?
2: Absolutely. Because you have this transparent yeah. book building process. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to push it in, uh, they have to take all of the prices up to a certain point. So they, they're on the hook for it. Uh, it's not it's not an in and out market because it's not like a 24, 7 a.m. Uh-huh. And they can't exit out instantly in the same place.
0: Right. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Cause the, so that's the thing in the web three and crypto, like there is such as like asymmetry of like, there's a, group of whales that have just gotten in early in, mm-hmm. in each chain. And then there's retail, right? People who are just getting into the place who might've done okay, or just have like, not as much capital. So this is a part, like, I just wanted, I, I kind of shot you this question earlier. Like, can we do like a quick use case of this? Cause I've been just trying to find use cases for projects. Someone who's got 10 near, or okay. let's say someone who's got a hundred near, someone who's got a thousand near and someone who's got like 10,000 plus near. How are each of those three use cases going to get to use VX?
2: So let, let's let's get into into VX because I think yeah. uh, may, maybe if I take one step back and talk about uh, some of the problems that we see out there and how we've addressed them, and then I'll bring both of those in and I'll talk about how they'll use the different mechanisms. Perfect. I, I, the, the core of this, the base, I think, of any DEX these days is still a form of AMM because mm-hmm. it has the right scalability uh, It Scalability versus complexity dynamics. So we have a concentrated liquidity, AMM, as this pair at the base of it. Now, we've done some really interesting things that we'll maybe come back to in a minute around variable price fees in it. So the price fee is set as the liquidity is put into it uh, rather than um, when you create the pool. So all of the the pool can have multiple price fee levels in it. That's, That's interesting. That takes us just a step forward in that pure thing. But that, that's a basic part of this. Now, one of the issues that I think the market has faced, and the the difference between being someone with 10 and someone being with a few thousand of a, a contract, or maybe a 100,000 of a contract, is that you have different dynamics on how you're able to approach the marketplace. When everyone was looking at Uniswap V1, they were pretty much equivalent. Anyone could put their liquidity in, and there were pro rata equivalents to each other. Now, the issue was... If I'm somebody with a lot of currency on Uniswap V1, I had to commit an absolute tonne of my asset to that to get a reasonable return on it. Because the the fee ratio to liquidity wasn't really good enough anymore. So they came up with concentrated liquidity. They came up with these concentrated liquidity ranges. But what happened was the people who had 10 suddenly were no longer part of that conversation because the amount of time it took them to move things in and out of ranges and the fee to move things in and out of ranges was disproportionate uh they they it's disproportionate just in terms of time so i've got friends out there who are literally are among the first you know months worth of traders on pancake and sushi you know people who've worked for names that we all recognize not necessarily for all the right reasons any longer uh, but a uh, they stopped some point last year at the beginning of the last year in sort of January February they stopped putting their liquidity on because everything had moved to concentrated liquidity mm-hmm. so we need to solve for that problem we need to solve for a problem where the 10 unit owners and the 10,000 unit owners can come together so the 10,000 unit owners is really straightforward they're going to take direct access to that liquidity because they've got the tools and the systems we know how they're going to work We're, we we all know the names and the brands and 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 they will continue to work in that way. But the sure. other guys, mm-hmm. so the question becomes, in, in any other asset class, how is that same problem solved? Because that problem exists everywhere. So how is that solved in stocks, in bonds, in uh, warrants, in debt, in all, all sorts of things? Well, there's an industry called the fund management industry. And we have this huge, great fund management industry that sits over the top of it. So oh. we're creating something we call uh, liquidity management pools. And this is where I take my tokens and I push them into a pool, either maybe one of my own or with a bunch of other people. And that platform then manages it into the pair pools for me, keeps them live, follows risk protocols, and basically operates. But much as as good as we think we can be with this, we think the world is huge. So the heuristics that drive those, the algorithms that drive those pools are injectable, which means anybody is going to be able to build their own Mechanism for how that could run. Come and put it up, and take a small portion of the fee for the distribution if it succeeds.
0: So a person can put together basically like a basket of of, of pools, yes. and so oh, that's all. That's okay. So that's sort of like I don't know, like retirement, before one k stuff like that. Sort of like exactly, exactly. Oh man, that's like the vanguard
2: of, <laughs> of what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so we think okay. that's that that's how it's got to be. So. What we're going to come with at the beginning is it's only going to be straightforward stuff. So it's going to it's going to take your pool of assets. It's going Mm. to look at the uh, simple historical returns of different assets and distribute them into it. it. It'll be a mix of on chain and off chain. So you can choose which one you want. So we can do some more complexity off chain. But the whole goal for us here is to set it up. So as other people can go, Okay, these are the injection points. I can build a better algorithm. Here's my algorithm. It's got better returns. This is his historical returns. And then anybody else can come say, Oh, well, I like that fund manager. We won't call them fund managers. It's regulated activity. But <laughs> we like that guy's algorithm or the spread better that you would follow somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will follow that guy's algorithm. Uh, and, as it builds more data, they may adjust their charges, and i I can choose which algorithm I want to follow and build up this community of people going, "Well, oh, this is how we should trade this. This is how we should trade this, and let them let the market find a solution. Algorithm architects. I <laughs> like these people, yeah. you
0: know okay
2: yeah. I, it's but it it's something that I think people are more are happier to play with if all they've got to do is play with those returns and the the algorithm piece that. That feels a bit cleaner. So our base, our core is this concentrated liquidity pieces and swapping with it in the right way. And then through this year, we're starting to build this fund management's layer and we're bringing in the auction products. And then the back end of the year, we start to put the derivatives on top of it. And we're basically building this full ecosystem suite that can attract money and keep it in and let the retail players play alongside the market makers and do what exchanges are used to doing.
0: You're building this on NIR protocol on NIR? Yes. Was there a specific reason that you started building on Near, and is this something that can only be built on Near
2: with the tech and stuff like that? So lots of good things about Near. I to be completely fair, when we started, uh, we were looking at another protocol, and it had a stablecoin problem, and we decided that we shouldn't follow oh. through. But we were still very much in the design stages at, at that point. So we we're like, okay, we can we can move change. So that. That kind of gave us a free rein to choose who we wanted to choose to to go and point score these different uh, uh, chains. And we were looking for this sweet spot of it had to be built in Rust because we're a rust house. And for lots of the right reasons, Rust gives you sort of abstraction and uh, capable tooling and all in the right way for us to be able to build this level of complexity without mm. killing ourselves from a testing perspective. Uh, so had those aspects. It also had a great ecosystem. So there was lots and lots of projects on there. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, we thought it had an underdeveloped DeFi ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we felt that we had a position where uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't be fighting three or four big liquid pools where even if you've got better functionality, you're trying to move people from liquid to better is is a tricky fight. We would be coming into a place where there wasn't huge great... Now, there's a lot of people who seem to have had the same concepts as us. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more coming into that space, but th- that was definitely on our mind. Uh, and then we, we had some good connections into it. We could see other large projects announcing. We could see Circles announcements. But okay, they, this looks like it's a, one to be backed. Uh, and finally, uh, our uh, team really felt that the security aspects and the uh, the tooling on it was good. So, man,
0: I I I shout security all the time. I'm like, there are like, you know, everybody loves the the space and talking about all the fun stuff. But I'm like, at the core of this is security. Like, there needs to be really good security governance and tech. Outside of all the crypto, Twitter, and everything, if those things aren't good, it's going to be not good for the chain. So. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent,
2: and governance is the one that gets overlooked Whew. all the time.
0: All the, I think in the next two years, we're gonna start seeing chains go down because of governance. I really, I man, it is a, that is a
2: tough concept. So let's let's talk about something different that we're doing with VX from a governance perspective thing, because I think okay. this is really really interesting. We're we're trying to think about how might regulation come in. So for a start, we're Swiss, we're Switzerland based. We're not. Uh, with the greatest respect to somebody, I'm not. I'm not picking on any individual, but we're not Seychelles and we're not Caymans, so we're not sat in an offshore jurisdiction uh, that people wonder how many people are there and what the oversight and the regulators are, are going to be like for it. Uh, the good reasons to go there, but not necessarily for this sort of project. That brings some complexity being in Switzerland, because Dow's in Switzerland, that's that's not a completely solved problem. So what we think we've done here is unique and the first. The Dow owns an AG. The AG is the equivalent of uh, probably an LLC from an American perspective. So the Dow okay. owns an uh, owns an AG. The AG will have directors in it, which are appointed by the Dow, but have to be people who will fit with the regulatory requirements in Switzerland. The Dow can then through the effectively like the shareholder's construction, it's called something different in Deutsch. but the shareholder's construction can vote on enormous portions of everything that happens. But on some particular subject areas, the directors will have fiduciary responsibilities under the Swiss law that they have to conduct, such as if someone decided to use the DAO to drain the tokens, the directors wouldn't be able to do that because that wouldn't be in the best interest of the business, even though the shareholders have done it. So they don't have rights to do that. The directors can't touch fees, can't touch uh, decisions on what's moving around in the Treasury. And all of those keys are passed up. But they do have these roles around preventing these some of these unknown behaviours. So We think this is a nice little hybrid. And then if it all becomes regulated and everyone's forced to operate in the right way, we can inject a regulatory layer at that play at that point and make sure it's got compliance and still leave the DAO over it and still serve every tokenomics up to the DAO in the right way.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. You know, I one of the things Jared and I have talked about a lot on different episodes is the challenge of governance because you have so many people who are trying to act of their own interest. Yes. And so even though, yes, you are this decentralized organization and you're, try, you're supposed to be working as a community we're we're not there. We're just not there, I think, no. as a society, as a general community. And so you run into issues where, one, sometimes, depending on how structured you have people who can come in and manipulate the entire DAO, yeah. or you have everyone working in their own self-interest, and so you can't get anything done, and so nothing happens. So by going this approach, it sounds like that you guys are really, one, obviously trying to make it so it's productive, but two, the compliance piece and the regulation piece i'm assuming is really there in the forefront because i think most people would agree that in the next couple of years there's going to be something out of some major countries you know to start to give some regulation around DeFi.
2: yeah i i think so i think that's the that's the future proofing that we're talking about here i mean there's yeah. lots of good practices in that but they're trying to be long-term good practices when I might not be the person that gets voted on in the DAO, and it might not be Matthias, the, the CEO. It, might, it could be anybody else. If the structure is there to allow the DAO appropriate control and allow the regulators a point to inject themselves, then it's future-proofed, and we don't suddenly have something that feels like a rug pull. That mm-hmm. yeah. that's setting it up in the right way to really think about that in a legitimate country that everyone's like, okay, well, we know that they're going to follow rules. <laughs>
1: interesting. So kind of maybe slightly off topic, where do you see the role, though, of like a DeFi platform in enforcing regulations like that, where now you have, you know, 150 plus countries possibly participating, maybe more, you know, where you now have different rules and regulations all the way across. At what point is it simply saying that we're going to abide by Switzerland because that's where we're based? And how much do you actually start giving credence to like if the. US comes up with something or Mexico or Japan, you know how however that maybe works, where's your
2: role? Do you see that? So the the interesting thing is on the derivative side because the regulation on the derivative side is so massively bigger than it is on the on the spot yeah. side. Uh, and in the derivative side, there are a set of countries that uh, use a phrase called passporting to be able to uh, link the rules between the different countries, meaning that you've got access to other countries if you are in a grown-up regulatory spot. And Switzerland and the US have passporting rights against each other. So it's a place where the two two systems recognize that the rule set is appropriate. So by picking a proper grown-up institution uh, at a grown-up country, We feel like we'll be able to stay current. Now, that doesn't mean that all of those rules are going to get adopted in, but Switzerland's been relatively proactive in that, trying to capture a space on it. Uh, I haven't seen, I still don't have a good feeling for where the US is going to come out with this. Uh, From a DeFi perspective, what I want to do is make sure that there is longevity in the project. So it's not necessarily my, my job to come up with the rules. But if you're in a position where you want to have longevity, you want to advertise to users, you want to show them where you are in your project, and you want to make sure the whole community can prosper in it, then you've got to have an awareness of what's going on, and you've got to be trying to set yourselves up to be responsive to it and not just think of it as somebody else's problem.
1: Well, I, one of the other things, I guess, in around the, the same point, I kind of wanted to touch on is the actual front-end technology piece because you're starting to see a little bit where... Uh, some exchanges but also uh some like lending protocols and things like that they've started essentially decentralizing their front end and making it so that there is no owner of the front end which you know like in the united states you cannot have so like it's now becomes blocked in the united states where is that line of decentralization for that type of stuff you know of like do we get to the point of Everyone has to run their own front end to be able to access these services. Like, where does that, where do you see that?
2: I, I mean, that just doesn't sound like a good user experience. I mean, no, it's it's, it's <laughs> frustrating, it's the worst. frustrating <laughs> when
1: you're a user of one of these products and then they don't know that that's coming. And then one day you go to retrieve your funds and you're like, oh, okay, you know, now I have to <laughs> well, know, must work around it. stuff. Yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, it's, I'm curious I, about how, how that looks.
2: You know, so the we spend an awful lot of time on the front end, and I and I may be, I may come back to some of the aspects of front ends that I think are missing in the in the group. But let's try and answer your question directly rather than prevaricate around it. I, it's going into the DAO, so it all goes into the same DAO. So it is going to be decentralized. But then we have this AG. So if yeah. I'm a US entity and I want to know who's publishing the front end piece, not managing the protocol, it's this AG. Mm-hmm. And so the AG is sat under a DAO, controlled by the DAO. You know, the token holders really do have control through the DAO, but the DAO happens to own an AG. So it's as well as all the rest of the tokenomics. So that's that's what makes that unique. So I think that's this sort of pattern uh needs to evolve. I think more countries need to grasp how they can bring these two things together and get those control setups in the right way uh i don't see that so i'm in the uk i don't see that in the uk at all at the moment uh Mm. i see a little bit of conversation around that sort of thing in spain and portugal i don't see it in germany or france i don't really see it in the u.s right now uh i see some of it in singapore so there's bits of it but it's it's relatively early and i I do think we're going to be the first of the projects with a decent sized funding trying to do something sizable that's trying to operate under this model.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this because if this model works, like I'm trying to find DAO governance models that make sense. And like, you can't really do like a traditional, like in these states, we can just do like an LLC, but there's got to be something a bit more. And there's like one state in the US that like even acknowledges DAOs, you know, <laughs> so like it gets yeah. a little bit tricky.
2: If you've been around trying to build these businesses, so even I own a few US LLCs, and they're dormant and they're sat there more because I was playing with ideas on how do you construct those things in the right way. Yeah. So it's you you find yourself listening to podcasts on regulation and uh, and the legal approaches. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just trying to pick up and absorb as much of that information as possible. But it's there's no determined method. I I react negatively to projects that I come across who seem to deny that exists. The mm-hmm. ones that acknowledge that it's difficult, but don't have a solution, oh. that's great, because I know that they'll be responsive.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, you can't get into it where you, you can't put your head in the sand, obviously. And then I think at the same time, too, if you think you have the answer today, you're probably going to be wrong tomorrow kind of thing. Like, it's just it's moving so fast yes. where you just have to be aware of that. So with what you guys are doing, where do you kind of, I guess, how do you help people start to Actually, get going though in DeFi, because I think a lot of people get excited by the terms of that, and people definitely come to crypto for some of that. But I don't think enough people really understand of where to go and how to get started with that.
2: Uh, okay, so so that that's a an interesting path, and I think that brings me straight back to the the thing that Jared was talking about a moment ago in, in the front ends so that I that I'll, I'll maybe come back to that. So I'll take that pin out for a second, but the. The front ends, the the interface that people are putting in front of uh, new DeFi users are so in crowd. Yeah, you know, There's something that people who are already in DeFi know how to use. Yeah. If i find somebody who's not from DeFi, they they make very little sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I and i think the worst part of them tends to be price determination i can't look at them and casually work out what impact my trade will have if it's even a moderate size on on some of these amms and so i i think there's the path around wallet connection and the smoothness around wallet connection you know things like wallet connect stuff they've taken it forward but that's very much a layer 1 uh, problem and the layer ones mm-hmm. need to focus uh, a lot on how smooth can they make that wallet interaction process and the tooling that they provide on that. And so we 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 support as many wallets as possible because we know that over time people will migrate to the best wallet for their user experience. But then everything after that, everything about the design and the interface, about so from our perspective, it's, it's how much can I look like something like Binance as a DEX? Mm. Now, I might be an AMM, but I want to have a chart, and I want to have something that shows me what my price impact's going to be, and I want my, uh, my swapping to feel like order entry. I want my liquidity provision uh, to be something that can either feel like order entry, or can feel like a something more sophisticated that you're more used to in the AMM world because a lot of the people supplying that will be more AMM users yeah. and then that whole fund management layer that's where we think the interface will become where people come in and land and it starts to take them through and it's a little bit more wordy it's giving more information and it's it's so it's liquidity management because we're going to be explicitly not giving advice we're just going to give the algorithms and tell them what they do but we see those interfaces, that that journey of building that interface out as the way to enable more people to come in. So if I'm someone passive uh, and I say I, I get a load of tokens because I've gone to Sweatcoin or I have uh, and therefore I've got a wallet and I'm like, OK, well, what else could I swap these for? I've got some of these. I'm not going to turn them back into USDC. I can turn them into something else. What else can I do? It, they need that smooth path. They need to be able to see what the options are, what what the markets are in a very smooth way. So that's all our front-end development. That's all about analytics, data, socials, really building it out as if we were like a Robin Hood or something and getting that data back in the right way.
0: I was just thinking that. like because hope that near and Joe, you're you build stuff on near as well. Like is the near ecosystem, they're kind of going for this like blockchain operating system, right? I've been seeing that term recently and I think it's a great one. Like a decentralized blockchain operating system. So will, will VX be something that someone can just like go from their phone, they can open a wallet up on their phone and they can jump in there and they can do everything from their phone or they can do it on desktop.
2: Yeah, so it, it's mobile, it's mobile ready. So as yeah. box, it does all the mobile ready stuff. I, I would say that certainly that's an evolving experience uh, we expect it to be mobile ready and people to come in and swap and do uh, liquidity provision, but trying to move that liquidity management desktop forward and then start to introduce complex things like auctions and derivatives mm-hmm. and options markets onto there, that, that's that's more time needs to be spent to get those right.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I often think of the people around the globe that might not have a laptop, that only have a phone, that might only have sub 100 near having it in a place and being able to maybe do something with it. And I think that's an interesting place that those uh, algorithms and stuff like that could be a place
2: to maybe get yield or whatever. So a hundred percent. So if they're coming straight in on the mobile version and swapping between coins, not making liquidity provision, but making swaps, then that, that mobile experience will be good and clean. And and from day one, but trying to build out the rest of the tool sets to allow people to put on positions where they are maybe, Purchasing an option, and they want to see the change in the premium on the option as they're trading it is is a little bit down the line. Okay, cool. It. I think there the was something you were asking earlier about derivatives, about what they are. I,
0: dude, I'm still trying. I like all I know is that like every time I talk to them uh, to a VC venture capitalist who's done any macro, they're always like, "We don't talk about them." Like just like there's like some like heaviness to them when they talk about derivatives.
2: So that I I've taught so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people about this and i think i can do this relatively cleanly and concisely and i think it's worth us doing because at the moment the DeFi world thinks perps are derivatives Mm. and that's that that they're pretty close to betting slips i mean they're they're not (laughs) (laughs) there's a big big world sat behind that and so Let's just start with a little bit of some of the language and talk about some of the, the major contracts. And then we can talk about some of the volume and the sizes and things that go behind them. So okay. the world of derivatives dominates the investment banks. Uh, the simplest derivative that we tend to talk about first is a future. Uh, and a future is relatively easy to think about. It's, it, it's a price that I trade today for delivery at a, a point in the future. So we pick a date. Uh, and in futures, we generally do this on a quarterly rolling basis, something on a sometimes on a monthly basis. But we let we say maybe the next one's the end of February. I mean, for all the futures people out there, they will we say March, <laughs> June, Sep, <September>. Dec. But <laughs> let's say the end of February because it makes more sense to us right now. So let's say we did near versus USDC. I could come and buy some some of that future, and it would be denominated in one of those, probably in USDC. So hmm. I I have a value to the near contracts and I buy them at that point. I buy it against leverage. So I maybe only have to put something like five or 6% of the capital down and it runs all the way through to that point. And at the end and at the end of the time, in traditional futures markets, what would happen is somebody would turn up with your bundle of wheat or your oil and you'd have to pay the price at that time. And the future would give you the differential in the in the two prices. Does that make sense? So yeah. it would cover your price risk between those two points.
1: So are you paying the? You are you paying the difference? Or are you paying what you pay for the future? So
2: I'm setting a price today for my delivery in the future. Okay. It, if I have to pay the market rate in the future, the difference in value of the future will give me cash. If I just take delivery on some of the traditional market ones, they'll just take delivery. What yeah, I think okay. it how I think it will work in crypto is there will be. An auction process a price setting process at the end and the future will pay out the differential between the price you got in today and the price at the end point and that means that i am able to afford to buy that much near at the end of that contract for the usdc rate that i got but it doesn't take a lot of capital it does these things are Traded for not very much, so I get exposure to the price movement without having very much capital locked up for maybe five percent of the margin.
0: Well, that worked the same way on a decentralized yes. dex. For centralized, that that doesn't matter. That doesn't happen
2: to that. That doesn't make any okay. difference. Yeah. Okay. So cool. that that's the the problem on the decentralized Dex is, is how do you manage that back? But that is what futures are. Okay. So it's not a future if it doesn't do that. So then we we have these contracts called options. Now, options, some people are more familiar with them because they tend to get them in employment contracts and things like that. But what I do is I set a price. And if the market on the day of expiry, so say we'll talk about the same end of February, is at or above that price, then I'm entitled to buy it. Those are are call options. And a put option, if the market is at or below that price, I'm entitled to sell it. Okay? Okay. So, I I mean, it gives me these these rights on these contracts. They have very different risk dynamics because as the price goes up, the ones that are the put options that are below the market, well, they're not going to change in price very much at all. So they're not super sensitive to the price rising. The call options that the market is getting closer and closer to, well, their price is starting to go up quite rapidly because it's quite likely that they're going to have to be delivered on. So they have quite different price dynamics. If I may fund, if I'm a BlackRock or a Fidelity or someone like this, and I want to come into a marketplace and I want to invest in an NFT project, like an exchange, and I find a way to write an option that's correlated to the NFT prices and say, I want to buy a whole bunch of puts to limit my downside in six months time to the NFT market as a whole, because they are options on some virtual open sea token. There isn't a there isn't a great token to sell, that, but it's some token like that. Then they're hedged. Then they've got a cheap way to lay off their risk, and the market will price that in based on the different volatility. But people have to put collateral behind it. So, am I making sense mm-hmm. so far on how these work?
0: Yeah? I've got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've I've got a pretty good. I'm yeah. You're doing a good job. I'm I'm following.
2: Okay. okay. So then, herb contracts, which we're seeing in the market at the moment. Uh they're just a rolling price where there's some leverage against it and it's letting the p move in and out of people's contracts. So they're nice because they give real time uh, p and results. So you get you get to use that collateral in multiple places. And as they move up and down against each other, I get some some capital efficiency. But compared to futures markets, they're not capital efficient at all. So the amount of capital that gets freed up to operate in futures markets is only based on the volatility of the instruments and options markets are even more capital efficient. So this is what we want to bring into this marketplace. Now we're talking hundreds of trillions a year that turns over in these markets. It's Massive. absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> so we, we we were having a conversation amongst a few bankers the other day and if if one bank in London decided to collateralize its uh exposure in swaps using stablecoin, it would immediately be a top five coin. And that's one bank. Wow. And it was only collateralizing one aspect of its risk. Wow. So that that's one day's worth of its trading. It's it, it, it the scale difference is phenomenal. And all of these fantastic projects, if I'm building a carbon exposure project or I'm building a maybe a ticketing platform and I want to attract money to come in. So the ticketing platform, you know, Ticketmaster owns all these stadiums. The ticketing platform wants to attract money to go and buy stadiums and start to do this. And it's all based in a tokenized economy. It needs money to come in. And if it's correlated to Bitcoin and Ethereum prices or to USDC prices that entity wants to be able to hedge this and it can hedge its exposure multiple years out in these derivatives relatively cost efficiently and therefore it's willing to do that because suddenly it has much less risk and it talks about the risk of the business and the management not the risk of the market
1: so this is really interesting so i i have somebody, a bunch of i don't know where to begin with the questions here but um <laughs> i guess starting first so like with the futures though you know, I don't know how this works necessarily in traditional finance either. But let's say a lot of people are willing to buy into futures, you know, at a certain price, it's... and and now with crypto, it goes on a run, right? And so now your future is worth a lot of money. Who's on the hook for that other side of that?
2: So it's a zero sum game. So everybody has to. If there's a buyer, there has to be a seller, and the seller has to be part of that market and both sides have to collateralize. So both sides have to put some assets in. Now the assets that you deposit are correlated to your complete exposure. So if I bought this future and sold that future and the correlation between them, I only need to put you know, the, the amount of net exposure that I have. Mm-hmm. And particularly wow. when you have options markets and you're all these calls and puts, your net exposure might be a lot smaller than your sort of gross exposure, but they have to be collateralized against each other. And then if there's a default, if somebody runs out of collateral, uh, what happens in the futures markets at the moment is you have a process called a risk waterfall. And that risk waterfall effectively goes through a few different layers, tapping different markets. The Mm -hmm. sort of thing that we're thinking here is a pro rata liquidation at the current price value of the rest of the contracts in that smart contract for the future. So the whole of that futures market, so it gets to a point, like a stop point, where somebody's liquidity runs out, everybody gets liquidated inside that futures contract at a prorata. Now, there is a bit of a cascade effect, but it's not, uh, our modeling of it is that it's not a constant cascade. And the good thing is that the book here will be transparent. So you'll be able to see what the net exposures of the whole market are, mm-hmm. and what the, you won't be able to tell what each party has, but you'll be able to tell how much gross the net exposure between the parties are. So you can see what the risk book looks like. And we therefore price that risk book off the back of the Dow and say, this is what the portfolio exposure can be. Mm -hmm. And initially, we will not be anywhere near as aggressive as CME or ICE or someone like that. Uh, And we will still be substantially better than where the market is today. Interesting,
1: interesting. So the transparency here is not necessarily just about asset holding. It's really about risk, which I think, yeah. Probably is the part that maybe scares people the most of like how risky some of the some of these trades are happening on crypto right now. So that's a really interesting approach where I still have the privacy of my assets, right? I don't have to expose how much I actually own, but you can see you how would you how would you denominate that? It like through a rating scale, how would you see like that if so, I am so, really over leveraged?
2: So you would it does a There'll be a utilization ratio on the collateral
1: okay so
2: and you'll be able to see the change in the utilization and you you won't be able to identify who's who now in it's this kind of happens in the -the over-the-counter derivatives markets today Mm -hmm. and i see this in sort of power and gas contracts and things like that where people go fishing in the market to try to work out who the other big positions are now i think think is a little bit more democratic across crypto markets that there's enough people who are mid-sized that you will sort of mask and lose that capacity and it and something that happens in the derivatives markets is there are a handful of really super big players that everyone concentrates their risk through so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not necessarily known and and i might be two years out of date, but society general and ab and amro were collectively something like 40 percent of the volume going through cme so they were roughly 20, 20% split each. And then you see JP Morgan's down at like 12 or so percent. So these guys really pulled all of the fund business and drove them onto the exchanges. So I don't think we see those same dynamics, but we still put it on chain and see where it goes.
0: This is cool. The whole risk side. So um, to pivot a little bit to, I mean, I'm I'm hoping people are really enjoying because I'm like learning here. I'm like, this is like why we do this. I'm like, okay, this is super interesting. So with the VX launching on Near. Are you going to be like? Who are your target users? Like, what, what, what? How would you box the users you're going to be targeting at least at first? Is it big institutional money? Is it retail getting in? How, how, how do you
2: think? So I think it's necessar- necessarily the core active users in the ecosystem who are more on the retail side and projects that are, that are around. So we've been talking to as many of the large projects as we can about. Coming and supporting their pools and and being there, but this is about bringing that whole ecosystem into it. And saying like, here, here's someone that's going to be listening, going to be continuing to increment. It's going to be no derivatives on there on day one. You know, mm-hmm. we're not. Yeah. We've we've got to show that each of these building blocks works to get through that stage. But with all the value add in our variable fee pools, and let's I mean let's jump way back to the beginning about these variable fee pools, these little little concentrated liquidity piece. You well, we're going to publish the academic papers with the maths around these. But one of the issues you've got on, say, the Uniswap world of uh, lookalikes as well, is when you create the pool, you set the liquidity in it. And you may have three or four pools. Sorry, uh, you set the fee for it, not set the liquidity, in, set the fee for it. You may have three or four pools with different fees. And when somebody comes in and they want to contribute, they put it in a different pool. And there's no built-in routing across those. So as a swapper, I have to come in and look and go, what's the price there? What's the price there? And I'm not quite getting any automated routing across it. And it's not, it's not a smooth experience. Mm-hmm. And there are only four pools. So what happens is when we get volatility, the liquid pool, where all the assets might have been in, which may have been one of the low prices, the volatility hits and the liquidity providers pull all their liquidity almost immediately out of that pool. And they go, they might put some in here and they're trying to work out what the right rate should be. And the swappers are left with nothing to come and lean against. Yep. So we keep this all in one pool and we've got you know much bigger uh, granularity. I think on our screen, we're putting up eight, but the protocol has a different set of dynamics with more in it. But trying to drive people down simple, easy to use platform at the front of it. When I push my liquidity and I set my rate, and there can be liquidity in there with different rates. And when our swapper comes in, our algorithm will work out the best most number of coins you can get. It won't care what the different prices are. It cares how to maximize the swap that you want to make. Because You you don't really care whether you pay 2% at a worse rate or 3% at a better rate. You, I want to know what the total amount of coins I'm going to get out of this is. And I want yeah. to maximize it. So that's what we do. We build the tree, walk the tree and do that. And that That's instantly adding value for these people on there. So we think as we go back out into the ecosystem, we're saying, which types of users? Well, we've immediately got value here. So we immediately think that the market makers and the liquidity providers have got a better home to come to and build up the liquidity books on it. But what we want is that broad set of guys, the guys with 100, the guys with 150, to have a place where they can come and have a good experience and there to be liquidity underpinning it because they're the beating heart of this market. They're the people who absorb the movements and then the family office and everything will just keep working all those guys and bringing them in. But hopefully that will give Nia something unique and different and solid that they can start to continue to build the rest of its tooling on. Is this
1: something I mean, that's a really interesting feature set. Is that something that you would then allow people to build on top of or would you always just keep it in house as part of the VX platform? Like would that open up as an API at some point?
2: So it's all in smart contracts. So people can can access at the smart contract layer. We we literally can't control that. So instead, we'll take the other route and uh, we're working with some academics and we'll publish a paper with all the maths in it so as everyone can understand how much more efficient that is and how it works and Mm -hmm. just contribute to the community and know that we're going to be bringing auctioning and we're going to be bringing uh, liquidity management and everything else and keep that tooling moving.
1: That's interesting that that actually feeds into one of my next questions, actually was as a as a product owner and builder in this space, what have you found, or I guess or like what are some of the challenges that you think that you see versus you know building now in crypto versus maybe in traditional finance or just nutritional product, like web two and things like that, where everything is more exposed, right? Like almost every everything by default is almost all open source for the most part, right? Like, how do you have to put that together in your head as a product owner?
2: I, it, you know, it's really interesting because we had so much intellectual property and if people look me up on LinkedIn, if you can find me with a really common name, but I've, I've got patents, including some of the patents on the perpetuals, uh, from back in 2012 that we, we were putting in at the time and trying to protect those things. I, I think that's done. Uh, I think you have to back yourself to be able to continuously innovate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not we'll protect aspects of our intellectual property uh, to to a certain extent. Things like branding and image rights, and that type of stuff, that are relatively enforceable to make sure no one's jumping on the back of that. Uh, we'll try and be ahead, so we won't necessarily uh, put all of the front ends and everything out there, uh, so as people can uh, can take them apart. But the smart contracts. We expect people to come in purely at the smart contracts layer. So we'll try and be good in the community from that perspective and provide documentation, provide academic paper, provide maths, provide security reports. So as people can, can see where we're going and just back ourselves to be able to move quickly.
0: Yeah. The whole web three space with like being able to see things, it, it almost makes like business is going to be done differently where it's going to like community-based marketing. It's like, everyone's going to have to be a marketer. Like it's going to be a constant state of like, bringing value to your users. So yeah. they'll, they'll have, in, it'll be like the paradox of choice. They'll have endless choices. So if you can just be the best of the choice, you know, or build the strongest community, maybe. Yes,
2: yeah, I, like, I think it's, it, it's really difficult to know how that evolves. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my experience of lawyers is that they find new ways to protect things in new areas. Uh, So as more money comes in, people are going to look for an evolving uh, set of intellectual property rights around these sorts of assets. Uh, And particularly, that'll probably be US-led. But in the meantime, we just have to be responsive. I think it is is different to Web2, but not if you're a small business. If you're a particularly small business trying to do a piece of fintech, Mm -hmm. I... you know i've been on lots of boards i've been parts of these sorts of businesses a few times built them and sold me i sold one to canter uh i don't think you think about intellectual property of your own intellectual property particularly early in the process uh it's when you're starting to go through sales processes and Mm. you're starting to be fairly mature You, you start to think about well should i be protecting this stuff what should i have done here and you realize you should have done it differently up front the beginning side of a launch process between Web 2 and Web 3 is not very different. You're you're Mm -hmm. hyper-focused on the consumer and what they want and and how do you make them happy.
1: Sounds like just from kind of, you know, getting a brief overview of the team that you guys put together at VX, that it sounds like you have a really nice mix of people who have been through a lot of this on all sides, not just necessarily in the crypto side, but just actually building stuff. What I think is so important and that is getting lost in, I guess, the the uh, gold rush or whatever you want to call it of crypto, people just trying to rush to make projects. many people actually haven't ever, ever built anything before mm-hmm. and it's so different when you actually have to build a business, build a product that people are going to use and not just something like that's going to be fun for a couple of weeks, but actually provide value long term. That's a that's a skill in its own right and it's something where if you've never been through it, I feel like that this atmosphere of crypto is a very hard space to learn in because yeah. of how unforgiving it could be
2: I hugely hugely so i mean if he if you've come across any of the marty kagan books uh on product management uh there's some really really interesting dynamics on how do you put together product squads and really trying to give the team enough protection enough space to to get comfortable with each other and with the cycle and have, you know, constant sprints and holding ourselves to account rather than being held to account externally to get proper ownership. So people really feel like it's their product. It's an amazing team an amazing team. It's, you know, it's been in really interesting because a lot of our uh, development and a lot of our guys are in the Ukraine Mm -hmm. and have been sat in Kyiv through this whole cycle. And I, I am constantly amazed by them. I'm constantly amazed by the time and space that they find with everything going on for them. You know, wonderful set of business analysts. A couple of great guys. And uh, Ivan, the CTO, he he worked alongside Ilya. Uh, sorry, alongside not Ilya, uh, alongside the Aurora. Uh, Alex? Alex. Yeah, Yeah. that's the name I was looking for. He worked alongside Alex uh, previously. So the two of them were the pair building uh, Exonum on Bitfury. So we've got the CTO and they've got the the guy who was building the business aspect of it. So, and a lot of those guys that we have are all part of that uh, sort of social network of people who are building Rust in in the Ukraine. And then then Matthias, the, the CEO, is a, you know, I haven't met somebody more full of energy, but without without the ego that you often associate with it, where you can say, I think we should do this, and, we should, and you get great responses back. It's an absolute pleasure to work with. I've worked with some great people and some people that I wouldn't choose to work with again.
0: My last thing, and then Joe, if you've got a follow-up. Okay, so I just want to run, I might cut this, but I've just been like, you're the perfect person, I'd like to ask this. So, okay, I think the main thing that Web3 doesn't quite have, that could be, is, is a 401k. And to me, the 401k is actually like a pretty bad thing. It's kind of the original hold. Like, they're like, okay, put your money in here. Don't touch it for 30 years. And then we'll we'll give it to you in 30 years. It's like the diamond hands of TradFi. Does Mm -hmm. Web3 have something like that? Or is that kind of what you're making with these, like, these algorithmic pools that people could sort of... The only good thing is they don't get dinged if they take their money out early. And they have the option to hold it long term. So, to me, it seems like a much better vehicle. Probably going to cut this, but I'm just curious running (laughs) it by you because, like...
2: Really? No, no, no. It, look, it, I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting. So I'll say pensions rather than four hundred and one k. Yeah, for pensions are great. The entire world of audience, but <laughs> uh, so the pensions industry is multi layered, mm-hmm. and the place that faces off to the retail marketplace that there, I don't think there is a Web three part of that at all. Mm-hmm. But for that to exist, it needs places to be able to put that capital and know what the returns are going to be and what the scale of those returns are going to be so this piece that we're building out here our liquidity management layer this first sort of the first big thing that we'll come with after our launch on our second version is all about building that sort of layer for investment and control and having a first go around will it's going to evolve multiple times before someone is willing to come in and put a sort of funds of funds layer on top of it Which Mm -hmm. would then be able to do 401k type stuff. So, but what what I want is to be in a place where, with derivatives, with funds management, with with all the liquidity management, that if I'm Fidelity or BlackRock, and I, or, you know, I'm Luke Hickmore at Aberdeen, you know, the guy runs credit there, someone like that, and I'm looking at these and saying, can I invest in this entity and put this into my fund, which is going to be available to people to put into 401ks? And I take enough of the, yes, I can control my risk. Yes, it's transparent. Uh, yes, I can see how, it, how the governance is operating. And I can tick all those boxes so he can put his money into, not us, into some other project and use us for the hedging and the mechanisms around it. And he can invest in this great carbon project or this great uh, you know digital music rights platform or something that he uses us to hedge out some of the risk, currency risks because it's priced against USDC mostly. That's what awesome. I want to say. That's yeah, that's cool, man. I'm always like, oh, man, I just think those
0: are whoever created those models in the early like back in the day. I wasn't alive, man. <laughs> smart people like, you know, what we need <laughs> pensions for one case because talk about shifting a market. Uh, Joe, do you have any final questions? Yeah, I mean, I mean,
1: so, so much to think about. But I mean, this is uh, really interesting. You know, I know. For as someone who does use DeFi myself, uh, I'm really excited to be able to get yeah. a chance to actually use your guys' platform and you know try some of this stuff out. Um, very curious too. We didn't touch on too much really, but uh, I are you guys building out kind of like an educational arm as well? Like so to do like not just tutorial videos of how to use it, but actually what these different products are.
2: I. Do do you know that's? It's an interesting point. I haven't. Our CMO, we've got Marie, our CMO, who who is fantastic and well experienced. Have uh, was a gate for four years, uh, trying to take them out out of Asia. She's talked about aspects of things like this, and I don't think I've overengaged because I'm trying to be aware of the pushes into testnet. So mm-hmm. I suspect that those are the sorts of things that she's planning to build out. They they fit with what they've done elsewhere in 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 the projects that she's worked with. Uh, mm-hmm. But if not, we'll take that away and we'll credit you, Joe. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well,
0: I'll pull that clip of you describing or explaining Derivatives to us. Boom! You've got your first one. <laughs> Exactly. exactly.
2: Yeah, there like there's there's so much there's so much to be done in this space and it's it you know we are literally pushing into test net that that's where we are the guys are probably trying to do that behind the VPN at the moment for the first time I they they will push that into test net we will make hopefully we'll make our mistakes in test net in the first few weeks mm-hmm. uh we'll get through our security audits and we'll push it onto mainnet and then we can start to iterate and this is a journey this is this is also the community is going to say, do more of this, do less of this. And it's going to change our path a bit. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be a really fascinating journey. But the important thing is how do we build the pie, not just take a chunk of it for ourselves, but make the whole thing bigger and make it, make it open for people to bring money into the ecosystem. Oh
0: man, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on this show, man. And uh, coming on, you know, spending an hour with us. Um, we're gonna like reach out, hopefully again in the future, and talk a little bit more. Maybe do some like on um, demos of it and stuff. It'd be really fun. Sure,
2: that, that's excellent. Uh, reach out whenever you like, guys. Been a cool pleasure. Right.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Day. Day. Thank you both so
2: much. Take care.
0: Bye. Right. Ready Layer One is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. You should not make any decision, financial investment, trading, or otherwise based on any of the information presented in this podcast without undertaking independent due diligence and consultant and consultation with a professional broker or financial advisor.